Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night for a bucket list guest right now. We have Judy Greer on the show. Hello, I'm so excited to have you here. That's a really nice introduction. Thank you so much. I mean it. So <laughs> usually on ladies night, we start out with this fancy dice tower, but the dice tower is not here right now. It's stuck in LA. So we're going to play dicey questions, but you are going to pick your own numbers. I've got a list okay. of eight random questions here and okay. you get to pick three numbers and whatever questions you get, that's where we start at least. Okay, I'm starting with number three. Number three, my lucky number. It's a fun one. What is something you did for a role that makes you say, I'm very glad I did that then, but never again? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, uh, well, <laughs> I know we're going to talk about the thing about Pam later, but I cut my hair for a role once and I just don't grow hair. And I was like, never again. Um, that's why the sweet baby... Jesus made amazing wig makers and I wear one in the thing about Pam. Um, but yeah, I cut my hair, I dyed it and it just like messed up my hair forever. I mean, that's the reason why I've had bangs since I'm 18 years old. So you do things like that and there's no turn. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 All right. What is your second number? Um, five. Number five is high low. Can you give us one audition high and one low and then tell us what you learned from that low? Oh. Um, when, can it be one audition? Sure. Okay. So I went through a horrible breakup. Um, how many years ago? Oh, well, I guess so. Okay. So the audition was for the movie, the descendants and I had just gone through a horrible, horrible breakup. And I was like raw and insane and out of my mind. And I thought I was gonna lose my mind and go crazy every second. And I had to audition for The Descendants. I got the role, um, but it was the best. It was like the high and low because I was in such a horrible place. And one of my audition scenes was this scene at the end of the film where I 
break down and sob. And so I walk into the audition and I am like an open wound and Alexander Payne is there. And I'm like, can I do the last scene first? And he's like, sure. And I just like opened up and, and then I gathered myself and went backwards and did the first one and the second one. And then, and I didn't do that one again. And so it was both like the best audition and the worst audition because best audition, because obviously nailed it, got the role, but then it turned out to be the worst audition because I didn't shoot that movie for six months. And in that time I fell in love with my husband. I like met him on a blind date and we fell in love. And by the time I showed up in Hawaii in June after auditioning in January, I was over the moon, happy, like could not wipe a smile off my face. And I was like, how am I gonna do this? I don't even think I can recreate that. And of course, Alexander Payne, he's like all about casting. And I was like, hey, so what are you thinking for that last scene? He's like, do what you did in your audition. And I'm like, oh, I was afraid he was gonna say that. So am I allowed to have that be my answer? Same audition? I don't know. I heard a whole bunch of very good things in that answer. And it was incorporate somewhat of a low, but I see a whole bunch of you putting it into positives there. And I love it. Also, okay, that I can give you another low, which was this um, TV show for HBO that Ben Stiller made a hundred years ago called Heat Vision and Jack. And I think, I think it might've been like one of Jack Black's first big roles. Um, I did not get the role. His wife did. I'm always like, hmm, I think that's how they met. Anyway, um, I, I, at the end of my audition scene, my character gets shot with some kind of laser gun and disintegrates. So I do my audition scene and then I'm like, I finish the scene and I'm like, okay, do you want to see anything different? And like, Ben was like, cause he directed it. Um, well, you didn't finish the scene. And I was like, well, the end of the scene is that she evaporates. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. So I had to pretend to evaporate and, and I did not get that role. I mean, now, you know, what I have to follow up with what, what does, <laughs> what does evaporating look like in an audition space? Um, it looks like me screaming as loud as I can and trying to get as small as I can. And I turned into the smallest ball of human that I could on the floor while screaming loudly into like, ah! okay. And I remember the look on the producers' faces and mostly I remember the look on the people in the waiting room when I walked out, you know, these casting offices are small and I opened the door and walked out and everyone in the waiting room was like, because of course they all heard me screaming. I wish I would have come out and gone, nailed it. I mean, <laughs> but, I'm um, impressed you did it at all. I feel like a little part of me would have died inside and I would have been like, I don't, like I can't do it. A part of me did, <laughs> a part of me did. But I mean, you know, I didn't get the role and then they met and they got married and see again, all positives right there. Yeah. So I'm really good at making lemonade, aren't I? <laughs> I like that skill. All right. You got one. <laughs> okay. More. Number seven. One more pick. Seven it is seven. Movie yeah. and TV skills. If you could learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would you pick and why? Ooh. Um, well, I got to take a flower arranging class once for this movie I did with Jennifer Aniston. Um, and I loved it so much. Uh, I would love to learn how to do pottery for a role. And I would also love pretty much any role that would require me to have a trainer. So like 
you know, if I had to like get really good at like yoga or something, then that would be really cool. If I got to have like a personal yoga instructor for like six weeks leading into production, I never play those kind of roles yet, but, um, yeah, that would be the dream yet. Yet is the key word there. Yeah. All right. Before we get into the meat of it, I actually have a little bit of a bonus question for you. Cause it's very Ooh. unusual that I film two ladies nights in one day. And I always get hesitant to do this because <laughs> if I do it, then it's going to jinx the second guest, but I had Catherine oh. Winnick on earlier and <gasps> oh, she, I love her. she gave me two questions that she wanted to ask you. The first one is an acting question. Okay. She basically wants your secret sauce. What is the key to <laughs> developing a feel for comedic timing? Oh my God. Uh, okay, Catherine, just call me or text me. You must still have my number. I'm not going to reveal my secrets. Um, I will have to say, and this is, it is kind of a cop-out answer. It's the writing. Writing, man, I've been really lucky. And, and like when you have good writing, it's pretty easy to be funny. Good writing, good directing, but don't sell yourself short. It's also very, very, okay. very key <laughs> skill to be able to work with stuff like that and make it work as intended, <laughs> if not better. You have to grow up looking really quirky and weird and having to rely on comedic timing in order to make friends and influence people. What's her other question? All right. Her <laughs> other question is a bit more serious. She wants to know what you two can do together to help Ukraine. Oh. My God, literally again, call me, text me, whatever um, I'm in. I mean, something. So uh, that's a really good question. That is serious. Now I'm thinking about the Ukraine and I don't feel like smiling anymore. Um, well, we should do something. So I'm going to reach out to her. I like that plan. She was telling me that she just started a, a foundation for, for the cause there right now. And it sounds like great. It sounds like something well worth putting your weight behind. Yeah. I mean, I've been following, like I support the international medical Corps and save the children. And both of those organizations, if you go on their website, have, um, you can like donate for relief. Um, save the children obviously is for children in the Ukraine and and then International Medical Corps is kind of like, I always call them like the Ninja Red Cross. Like they like drop down almost like in parachutes into the middle of whatever is going on, whether it's a, a war in the situation, a natural disaster. Um, and, and they just swoop in and do really incredible work, um, mostly medical related, but they do sometimes um, employ like engineers and stuff that can come in and help with rebuilding and restructuring after things have quieted down. Anyway, okay. Well, in that case, everybody can find links <laughs> to everything Judy just named and Catherine's organization in the description section below. Check them out. Yes, please. All right, getting into the beginnings of your career here. Yeah. I know you got a BFA in theater, I believe. Yes. What would you say was the key to bridging the gap between studying in a school environment and booking your very first gigs? Kind of feel like, um, strangely, like getting my education for four years and then forgetting everything they taught me and being myself. And then slowly, going back and like, and like grabbing from that toolkit, like things I needed to have longevity in my career, um, was I think what I did looking back on it. To get specific here. 
What's something that you learned studying in school that you find invaluable and you still use today when you're on set, but then what's something that all the schooling in the world never could have prepared you for when you hit your very first set? Um, There's so much technical stuff. I went to a theater school, so I was trained to be on stage. Um, In my opinion, acting is acting. So you learn how to act and you learn how to break down a script and you learn about characters and you learn about beat changes and all this like technical script stuff. Um, I did not go to a film school, so I never learned any of the technical things about acting on film. So that is something, um, that I wish I would have learned more of. And then things that I, I hang on to that I still use are like really like breaking down a script, that kind of homework, like sitting down and going through my scenes, like plotting out a character journey for myself. Like even in movies and TV shows where I have like three scenes, like there's still, I still find a beginning, middle end, um, in my own head, that kind of stuff is invaluable. Absolutely. And no small roles ever, ever, (laughs) ever. I mean, (laughs) but definitely small paychecks. (laughs) all right let's get into some titles here you have many that i'm obsessed with so let's go with uh the first big hollywood project i guess jawbreaker yeah everyone was i guess pretty early on in their careers at that point but i would say like rose rebecca and julie they all had a pretty good deal of experience at that point so yeah you know, stepping onto that set as your first big, uh, big Hollywood project. Was there anything that you saw any of them do that you kind of, you know, put in your back pocket and said, I'm going to try that on my next big film? No, I mean, I don't know. Rebecca Gayhart had a cell phone, so I thought she was a billionaire. Um, I've never seen one of those before. (laughs) It plugged into her car. It was like a car phone, actually. And I was like, (laughs) she also had a Toyota 4Runner, which I was like, she's a billionaire. And, but that doesn't really, it's not like a work question. Um, I don't, I can't remember. I know that like, like Julie Benz was auditioning great, like constantly while we were shooting. And that was something I picked up on. Cause I was like, oh, I need to keep like, once this job is over, then I don't have a job. So like, you have to hustle. And I think that that was something that I took away from her was like her ability to hustle, but be really present in the project that we were doing. And I remember, I've never talked to Darren Stein who wrote and directed Jawbreaker about this, but I, my, I remember feeling like he was a little stressed out that like when we weren't shooting, that we were not taking good care of ourselves, that we were still like running around trying to get jobs. And I think like he was always worried that we would be really tired because we only had one day off a week and it was a Friday. So we would like, I would just like go on like a million auditions as many as I could on a Friday. So I had like no days off, which when you're 22 years old is fine, but I could never do that right now. <laughs> I'm like, glad you, you had no. someone looking out for you, but like you really did like take that, take that vibe that Julie had then and run with it. Cause like you don't yeah. stop your, your filmography is down to the damn floor. I know I'm a, I am a workaholic, um, much to my husband's chagrin. <laughs> I, I feel that pain. My family <laughs> yeah. wants me to stop sometimes, but I can't help it. I love it so much. I know. <laughs> Here's something else I love. I absolutely love Wes Craven so, so much. His films changed my life. They're a big reason why I'm here. So I don't know. Tell me anything at all about working with Wes Craven on Cursed. Well, uh, he 
printed out every single morning the New York Times crossword puzzle for everybody on set. There was like a stack of them. And so every morning, like as everyone showed up for work, like I can't remember if it was his assistant or a script supervisor at the time passed out the New York Times crossword puzzle. And so we were all all day long working on the crossword puzzle. It was like, like our family, like that was the thing we did all day as a family. <laughs> I felt like, and, um, and so like you being such a huge fan of Wes Craven and being so excited to work with him and like really not having any sense of what to expect from this man. Like he was so kind and lovely and thoughtful. And I just didn't, I guess I just didn't expect that from someone who all I'd heard about was how he would scream more blood, more blood, more blood. And, and like how sweet he was. And, uh, and like set was really fun. It was like a really family-like environment. Makes me happy to hear that. I'd yeah. never been shaking in my boots more than the one time I got to interview Wes and he oh, was just yeah. the most lovely, warm, yeah. welcoming, kind yeah. person I've ever met. And yeah. You know, when, when you meet your heroes and they live up to your expectations, if not exceed them, it, it means a lot. And it's very upsetting when they don't. So it's always good. When that they is do. true too. That is true too. All right. Halloween kills. We'll go from one horror movie to another right now. I'll put the appropriate spoiler warnings up for this, but I can't help myself. Too late for spoilers. I need to know what you think about Karen's death. Cause I, I like, admittedly, I'm still a little sensitive about it. So in the club you know, was, was her not making it past the second film always in the plan. And just for you personally, for your own head, what was the key to, I guess, justifying it to making sure that, you know, you left the audience scared and upset, but also to make sure that her death felt necessary in the overall story of it. Well, I think we won't ever really know until the next one comes out why Karen had to go but when it was time to get ready to start shooting Halloween kills I got a phone call from David Gordon Green and he was like we have to talk before I send you the script and I was like I don't want to talk I don't want to talk to you dad I know what you're going to tell me and why does it have to be me and he was like it has to be someone <laughs> and <laughs> he's like and it can't be Jamie <laughs> and it can't be your daughter because she's got to carry on the mantle. And I was like, you, can I say it? Can I say a bad word? Go for it. Fucker. And I was like, come on, man. He's like, I know. I'm really sorry. I'm trying to figure it out, but there's just no other way. And I was like, Ugh. I get it. I get it. He's I'm, right. And he's right. I'm sensitive. It's still kind of raw. But I keep an open mind with with film series like this, and yeah. as long as long as you know you justify it as you move forward, I'm okay. I'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "Do you want to read the next one?" And I was like, "No, it's okay. I'm dead. I can't read." You can experience it in full when it comes out, though. Yeah. There's still hope. Yes. All right, let's go from one one Karen to another. Another oh. thing I'm obsessed with is Jurassic Park and World. Oh. I gotta know, did, did you have more scenes in that movie that didn't make the final <laughs> cut? And, and actually also like, where do you think Karen is now? Like, what is she thinking? Is she concerned about her sister? Oh, I don't even know that was my name. Um, that, <laughs> uh, of course, she's very concerned about her sister. Um, yeah, I was always hoping to get to go play some more with those dinosaurs, but I never did. Um, no, I think everything we shot was in the movie. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, Karen's sister, I don't remember Bryce's character's name either, probably Claire. was Claire. Was I know too, I also know too much Jurassic. I play, okay, I, I play that. intense Jurassic trivia. So I've had, okay. had my study time. That makes me feel better. Um, I do remember going to the red carpet for the premiere of Jurassic World. And like when I stepped on the carpet and I heard the score, like the song, I got like shaky. I was like, oh my God, like I knew I was a part of this major franchise, but when I saw the mat, like the red carpet and like heard the song, I was just like, holy shit, like this is so major. It is, it is that the Jurassic theme gives me goosebumps every single time I hear it. And I, I watch those movies more times than I can count. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the descendants now. Okay. I'm very curious what it felt like for you being nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Awards because, you know, awards aren't necessary to validate anyone's work, but you've been working in this industry for so incredibly long. So when that happens, is there anything that kind of makes you feel like, you know, like, finally, I'm being recognized this way because you deserve it for many things in addition to that? Well, uh, it was for like cast. It's still, you're, you're part of that ensemble though. It's true. Um, yeah, I think like the, the stupid thing that actors always say about the Screen Actors Guild Award is it's like the most biggest honor to be recognized by your peers. And I will say that as dumb as that is, and as much as you're like yawning when you hear it on the red carpet, it's so true. It's like, like, don't you just want your friends to like you? Like, don't you want like your co? Like, I just was like, oh my God, uh, that was an incredible night. And, and it was a huge honor and it is kind of the coolest award because they're like, oh, my peers are recognizing me. And, you know, like another cool award I always think is like people's choice. Like the people's choice award is awesome because that's like the people's choice. That's who we're doing this for. You know what I mean? Like we're here for them. I mean, it's really cool when the Academy recognizes you or, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press, but like when it's the people you're actually like making all this content for, that's like the best. And then, I get it. Yeah. It's award season. So I have all those yeah. like warm and fuzzy feelings right now. Yeah. And I love it. All right, let's talk briefly about the Apes movies before jumping into Pam, because one thing that I think about a lot with motion capture work is that, you know, sometimes when when you strip a lot of things away, it makes you aware of something that was always there, but you never really notice. So when you're doing motion capture and don't have like hair, makeup, costume, all those frills, is there anything about your own craft that you started to notice that you never even realized was there or that important before? That's a great question because I, I really like you kind of answered the question in your question, like you strip everything away and you're like, am I any good at all? Like outside of all of the stuff we decorate ourselves with, which makes it so easy, but also like easy to kind of focus the blame elsewhere if there's not a great reception for your, for your performance. Um, it was the director, it was a right, like, you know, like when it's really just you there, I mean, I can only imagine what those Weta guys thought of all of our performances as they're like painting on top of us, these apes. Um, 
it's very, it makes you feel very vulnerable. And my first day on set in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I was so self-conscious of what I looked like and my acting. And it just felt like very overwhelming and raw to be performing that way. Um, but then like Andy Circus is probably one of the best actors I've ever worked with in my life. And all my scenes are with him. And so, you know, like when you're working with someone that that caliber, like you just rise to the occasion and you have two choices, like in anything that you do, you can say like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. I can't do this. Uh, I have to be careful. Or you can just like jump in the deep end of a freezing cold swimming pool and be like, well, I'm just going to go for it because my other option will just, it will never translate. You never can get a great performance if you're not open. This is so motivating. I'm so glad yeah. we're talking. I feel like I'm going to walk <laughs> out of this room with like a dose of positivity and inspiration. Yeah. My choir teacher, when I was in high school said, when in doubt, sing loud. So I usually I just em- go for it. I got to <laughs> embrace that. All right. The thing about Pam. All right. Let's start with the show's unique style, because I've got to imagine that you kind of don't feel the full force of the end product when you're just reading words on a page in a script. So how Jenny and the team kind of help you prepare for what the what the tone of it all would be? Yeah, I mean, we were talking a lot about Fargo. Um, For tone reference, Um. I don't tend to require tone references uh, when I work. I, I, I'm happy to know what are you thinking, but like for me, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a performance and I'm going to rely on my director to, you know, make adjustments. Um, Cause I don't know. I think maybe some actors would disagree. I don't feel like that's my job. Like my job is to, you know, tell the truth and listen and so, so going into it, having like kind of like heard Fargo tossed around a little bit, um, I was given access. We were all given access to all of the reporting that Dateline did and videos and transcripts and books that Jenny had read. And then Jenny, who Jenny Klein, our showrunner, who was, I don't even understand. I think she's like a robot angel or something she was always available I mean like 24 hours a day like I would prepare late at night for the next day and I'd be like oh god I don't want to text her I don't want to bug her but I would text her and she would like respond right away with like a video or a complete answer to my question or just call me and be like we can talk about this really quick like she was always there for us and so in that respect I just felt like we had everything we needed we had as much or as little as we needed to to tell the story. And, you know, like I said, like this tone is difficult and she nailed it. And so did our directors. Yeah. I'm very impressed by that (laughs) quality of it. This kind of might be more of a question for the writers, but uh, I guess like just in your opinion, what do you think it is about drama with, I guess, a comedic edge that made it the best possible way to convey this story? Well, this story is tricky because it's a true story and because the investigation is still open. They still have not convicted a murderer. Um, And so it can't be a comedy. 
it's not a comedy. It's a tragedy. You know what I mean? Like this is a horrible tragedy for so many people. Like, like two people were killed. Three, if you count Pam's mom killed, died. That's, you know, she died. But anyway, like there were three lives lost and that affects, you know, countless family members and loved ones. And so what we were trying to do is to highlight the absurdity of the story without commenting on it being funny or anything like that. You know, that's why the tone was so tricky. It wasn't like, it's hard to make a comedy. It's tricky tone because you're dealing with something that's very intense and very upsetting and shining a light on like the absurdity of how it was all handled. So that's what I think we got right, which I was so happy with because we were always wanting to be respectful of the families. Very well done in that respect. All right. I'm going to add one more question in and it's specific to episode four. It's a, it's a scene Uh, that really caught my eye. So (laughs) With the with that particular scene, it's the one where where Pam comes in and tells Askey about Betsy's crush on her. Yeah. How does your how does your approach to a scene change when the dialogue is largely in someone else's hands, but your reaction shots, I mean, I would say are probably the most important part of that particular scene, trying to figure out what's really going through Askey's mind and what she thinks about the story that she's hearing. Yeah, that's fun because like I you always wish the camera could be on you for the first take because you just know that like when you do hear this stuff for the first time regardless of like how many times I've read it to memorize my lines like the first time I hear Renee say this as Pam like it's gonna be my favorite reaction but that is not always the case so then I try to memorize I try to react in the moment to her but also like memorize what I'm doing. And then it helps. I have Matt Grant actor on the other side of me and playing off of him and like us trying not to collapse in laughter. Um, that helps a lot, like trying to contain something. And in this case, Leah is containing like her, like what the fuck is going on thoughts Judy is trying to contain the like laughing (laughs) at the absurdity of the situation and that this actually happened um, that I can play like I can play Judy. I can it's like I can kind of mix them up together and like shake it up in the snow globe and like I think have it work. But you know, it's like, you just kind of have to really be focused and listen. And, and that's acting. You have to try to make it sound like you heard it the first time, 20 times in a row, you know, but it was hard and it was funny and it was fun. And Renee is just so incredible. Like everything that comes out of her mouth is so incredible. And, and she's so professional so even though she's so fun and fun to work with, like she is like, a, like laser focused, which helped me a lot. 
the whole show is great, or at least up to episode four, because that is what I've seen. That yeah. that scene in particular is not going to leave my mind anytime soon. I'm so happy to hear it because I was so excited the day that we were going to shoot it. It was one of my favorite scenes. I was so excited about it. And then when it was over, I was so sad. Like I get so sad when my favorite scenes are over and I'm like, <sighs> I have like a million and one follow-up questions and more questions about <laughs> Pam and like all your other projects that I love and we haven't spoken about. That means the door is wide open for more ladies' okay. nights in the future. I'll be back. Huge, huge congratulations on the thank show. You. And thank you for thank spending you. some time with us. Thank you so much. I will come back, I promise. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW.